Right, look with me, please, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read through verses 11 through 17, as we have been doing now for several weeks, as we are concluding our study through Ephesians uh, over this past year plus. We are in verse 11 today, reading through verse 17 in this portion, of course, where Paul is dealing with the spiritual armor. So let's look at verse 11 together. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for the privilege to gather as we do this day. I pray that as we do so, may our hearts and minds be totally focused on the truth of your Word and on the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, this day. We ask, Father, that in all things may you be glorified, may Christ be exalted, and may we edify one another as you have commanded us to do as your body in submitting unto your Spirit who lives and dwells within us, working within us, that which glorifies and honors you. And Father, as we open the Word of God this morning, we pray for clarity of thought and understanding. May each of us have the discernment of your Spirit, those that are born of God, and those that know not Christ, we pray that your Spirit may use the Word in their lives as well as only you can. For we totally rest and trust in the sufficiency of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So may we faithfully proclaim His truth and proclaim Christ revealed from His Word as He is. And may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, and then, of course, as well, the desire and commitment within our lives and hearts in submission unto you to live in the truth of this victory we have in Jesus Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Uh, Once again, I mentioned last week, as I have many weeks through our study as we are wrapping up our study in Ephesians over this past many, many months, that it is necessary uh, for me to continue to remind you of the reality of the constant spiritual war in which every believer in Jesus Christ is engaged. Every believer is engaged in spiritual warfare. Whether you want to be or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you recognize it or not, it is ever before us. It is ever present. And we have discovered the past many weeks that there are two primary fronts of attacks which we face. The first is the attack which comes from within. In James 1, 13 through 15, James again briefly says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so there's an attack from within, meaning there's a sinful fleshly nature which we possess as the sons of Adam, and even as believers in Jesus Christ, we still have this nature within us. Don't confuse the sinful flesh with the body. We're not talking about the same thing here. The body is that in which the sinful flesh abides, and the body is that in which the Spirit of God abides. And so we live in this physical flesh, this body, but yet there is a sinful fleshly nature that we possess, and that is the conflict which takes place within. Galatians five sixteen and 17, Paul again clarifies this when he says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, so that they are contrary the one to the other. You cannot do the things that ye would. When Paul says again, the spirit lusteth against the flesh, what is being said there is that the, that the, uh, or the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. When the flesh lusteth against the spirit, it is claiming, the scriptures are, are declaring that the sinful flesh 
of mankind desires to take control over the body of which it has no rightful claim. And so the flesh is constantly fighting against the spirit to take control of this body in which we live. That is the conflict of which Paul speaks. Furthermore, we understand that in that conflict, that, that as, as Paul says in Corinthians, that we belong to God. Our body and spirit are bought, purchased by God. We are reconciled to Him. Therefore, Paul said we are to glorify God in both our body and spirit, which are God's. So the flesh is constantly fighting to take control over this physical body in which we live. This is an inward battle that you and I face every single day. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know Christ, if you come to faith in Christ, you are constantly faced with this inward battle. And to say otherwise is to live in absolute total foolishness and ignorance because there is a constant battle which is before us. And then the second, there are attacks which come from without. In Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, we've read this, how that the, there's, of course, the enemy, Satan. We fight, or, or, or we are constantly attacked uh, by spiritual wickedness in high places. And then 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, Peter refers, of course, to Satan, the adversary, as a roaring lion. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So there's this constant battle from without. And Paul's use, as we've seen as well in review, his use of the infinitive to stand, and again, an infinitive is what is referred to as a verbal noun. Therefore, it is a, a phrase to stand, which possesses both characteristics of a noun and characteristics of a verb, but is neither a noun nor a verb. And this is important because it conveys both aspects of a noun and verb, meaning when Paul says to stand, he is referring to a position, something, a position that has already been given us in Christ, as he expresses in Ephesians 1 through 3, as we have spent much time delving into. And so we are given this position in Christ, in him, in the beloved, and so God has already granted this position. When Paul says to stand, he is saying maintain that position. The maintain is the part of the verbal aspect of this, and when he says to stand, so we are to maintain the position that God has already provided us in the person of Jesus Christ, as Paul so clearly articulates in chapters 1 through 3 of this epistle. The command to put on as we've seen, means to dress or to clothe. So when Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, he is saying that we are to clothe ourselves. We are to put on this armor, meaning that this is not some provision God has made that is stashed somewhere in some closet as a believer where upon occasion we may need to, to access this armor because, oh, there's a big battle coming up. No, Paul is saying as natural as it is for you to put on your clothes in the morning before you go out and as natural as it is for you to dress in an appropriate manner for the task that is before you, we are to put on, we are to clothe ourselves daily in God's provision of Jesus Christ. Paul declared in Romans 13 that for one to put on the armor of light is for one to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where a lot of confusion comes in, I believe. Many people, again, view chapter 6 and these verses 10 through 17 as though... This is something in addition to salvation. This is something in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not at all what Paul is saying. In Romans 13, 12, and 14, we find this to be so. Paul says in Romans 13, 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. This is the same armor Paul's referring to in Ephesians. But then verse 14, he clarifies the statement, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So this armor is not in addition to God's provision in Jesus, 
But this armor is God's provision in Jesus Christ. And that's what we must understand. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to put on this armor. To put on this armor is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would ask you this, just to clarify, obviously. Though you may think there are times where you may need the armor more so than you do other days. Let me say this. There is not one day that you are not in desperate, absolute need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to put on Christ is to put on the armor. To put on the armor is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. These are one and the same. In this chapter of his epistle to the Ephesian believers, Paul expressed the details of this armor. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, briefly, he says we stand, because he's already said we are to stand, having done all to stand, stand therefore. So maintain the position already given to us. So he says, first we stand in truth, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins Gird about with truth. We stand in righteousness, verse 14, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. We stand in the gospel, the good news of God's peace, verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We stand in faith, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We stand in salvation, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. And we stand on the word of God, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And again, notice he begins with truth and ends with truth. Stand with your loins girt about with truth, and then stand upon, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So truth and truth, and everything sandwiched between there. So we are commanded first to stand in truth. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Truth is the very foundation upon which we stand. Hence, Paul begins with this truth. Without truth, as we've declared and seen, there is no true righteousness in which we are to stand. Without truth, there is no true gospel in which we are to stand. Without truth, there is no true faith in which we are to stand. Without, sal- without truth, there is no true salvation upon which we are to stand. Second, Paul said we are commanded to stand in righteousness, verse 14. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, he said. Within this verse, Paul is exegeting or expounding the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. And this is very important to acknowledge in Isaiah 59, 15 through 17. And we're not going back there again. We dealt with that several weeks back. But God has clothed us, and this is important to understand from Isaiah's writings, as Paul is declaring here as well in Ephesians 6. God has clothed us, He has covered us, He has protected us, He has immersed us and imputed unto us the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 59, 15-17, we find he begins by saying in that chapter, the first verse, that the Lord's hand is not short, that it can, arm is not short, that it cannot save, but then he describes the people's iniquity and their sin that has separated them from God. And then he goes on to say how there was not a man that was there who was in righteousness. So God clothed him in righteousness, the very righteousness of Jesus, Jesus being this righteousness. And then in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah furthermore expounds upon this truth. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Several weeks back I explained to you that the importance of even Isaiah mentioning the bridegroom and the bride because Jesus is this righteousness and we are adorned in his righteousness. Hence Isaiah says he hath clothed me with the robe of righteousness. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6. Paul is not saying that we are to go find something that has not already been provided unto us. He's saying, clothe yourself in the provision of Jesus Christ, who is the very personification 
of the righteousness of God the Father. And so he's saying, put on, clothe yourself daily. We must embrace the truth of this position God has given us in Jesus. Again, I've told you, you will never understand Ephesians 4 through 6, especially chapter 6, without first understanding chapters 1 through 3. If you do not understand the truth of the position that we've been given in Jesus, then what are you standing in in chapter 6? What are you positioned in? What is he even talking about? You must recognize Paul is again progressively building upon this epistle. Chapters 1 through 3, it's all about who we are in Christ because God has given us this position in him. Chapters 4 through 6 is all about who Christ is in us. As we are living in the truth of who we are in him, he is now living his life in and through us, and this is what it looks like. So make, appropriate the provision. We're not looking for righteousness. We're not looking for salvation. We're not looking for truth, and we desire to seek after truth, but we're not looking to find it as though it's not there, but rather we are to embrace, understand, appropriate this provision of Jesus Christ daily. Acknowledge who you are in him as God has made us to be. Third, we are commanded to stand in the gospel of peace. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This command in verse 15 is also rooted in the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. So again, Paul is not simply writing in Ephesians 6 some new idea. He is exegeting the Old Testament as he always did. And so we see in Isaiah 52, 7, the scripture says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Paul further expounds on the truth of Isaiah's prophecy in his epistle of Romans. In Romans 10, 15, as it is written, how beautiful, talking about Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so Paul says we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Again, briefly in reviewing this last point before we move forward this morning, the verb shod means to tie, to bind, and to put on. So he's saying to Put on the gospel of peace as your shoes, he's saying. The noun preparation means prepare and ready. And so the proper shoes, as we know, were necessary to both protect the feet of the soldier and provide him stability. As I mentioned uh, last week, the, the soldier, as Roman soldiers, would have spikes similar to what we would understand to be cleats today, like for sports events, but they would have spikes in their sandals that would give them a firm footing. And so having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is that we are to be prepared in the gospel, which has two meanings here. We are first to be firmly rooted and planted ourselves unmovable in the truth of the gospel of peace. And we are to be prepared, therefore, to declare the gospel of peace to all those who are without in spiritual darkness. And we can only do that when we are firmly planted ourselves. And so if you're not rooted and grounded in this truth, then you are not prepared to declare anything to a world that would ask of you of the hope that is within you, as Peter declares. And so we are to be firmly planted, firmly grounded, unshakable, unmovable in this foundation of truth, And what is this truth? Well, in this particular case, it's interesting, Paul says, to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, he's talking about spiritual war, he's talking about spiritual conflict, and then he brings up peace. So he's not talking about peace in the world, and he's not talking about peace even amongst ourselves. He is talking about the good news of the peace we have with God because we are in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying we are to be firmly rooted. And again, the the confidence we have is this, 
that this good news of peace provides us confidence and stability in a world of uncertainty because we are standing rooted in the truth that we have peace with God. So no matter what the conflict may be, no matter how severe the battle may be, we know we have peace with God and nothing can change that. Nothing. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And so this is an, a stable, firm foundation upon which we stand. And why would we not be confident? Why would we not be bold? Why would we not be desirous to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ when we know no matter if they were to slay us for the cause of Christ, we have peace with God. Nothing else really matters. And that's what Paul is saying here. So, we see that Paul is saying to stand, and when he says to stand, he is speaking of maintaining the position. The truth of the message of peace is only the only solid ground upon which anyone can stand. So as we continue to examine this provision of God's armor, there are some truths which we must remember. First of all, this armor is not God's additional provision to our Lord Jesus, but this armor is provided to us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I've already declared. So this isn't something in addition to Jesus. You're not looking for something in addition to Christ. This isn't plus salvation, plus Jesus. No, this is Jesus, and that's what we must understand. Second, God's command for us to stand and put on the armor is not a provision for us to gain a victory or victory, but it is God's provision for us to realize and or experience the victory he has provided for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, let me mention this before we move forward. It is imperative that we remember, understand, acknowledge this truth. That God did not provide this armor as many would rep- misrepresent it. As though, okay, now you got to go get your faith so you can fight the fight. No, he is saying stand. He doesn't even say fight here. He says stand. We are to maintain the position already provided. So this is not about us gaining some victory. The armor is not given to us so we might come to fight a battle, come victorious in the battle. The armor is provided that we might appropriate this provision on a daily basis, recognizing, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the victory. He's already won the victory. Why are we fighting for something that's already been won? And the moment you begin to fight for that which Christ has already won, you've already been defeated in that account. But why take such a position when we can just stand in the truth of the victory that is already ours in Jesus? So Paul says, stand, maintain your position in God's provision of his truth. Stand, maintain your position in God's provision of his righteousness. Stand, maintain your position in God's provision of his gospel of peace, the good news of peace with God. And then today we come to this fourth, which is stand in faith. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now in this verse, Paul explains the power of the faith in which we stand. Within this command, Paul reminds us that it is faith which is our greatest defense against the attacks of the enemy. Paul alludes to this armor of faith in his letter to the churches of Thessalonica as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, Paul's description of the armor in 1 Thessalonians is somewhat different within that epistle than his epistle to the Ephesians. And in Ephesians, Paul refers to the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, which we are looking at this morning, while in Thessalonians, Paul mentions the breastplate of faith and love. And the significance of Paul's reference to faith in both his epistle to the Ephesians and his epistle to the Thessalonians 
is that in both accounts, faith is the protection which God has provided for us, and it alone can provide this protection of which he speaks. Notice what he says, above all. Paul is stating that in addition to maintaining our position in God's truth, God's righteousness, and God's provision of peace, we are to take, we are to carry along, we are to embrace the shield of faith. Now within this statement, Paul explains the significance of the presence of faith in our lives. While we are grounded in truth, while we are grounded in righteousness, while we are grounded in peace with God, notice the progression here Paul is explaining. The enemy continually attempts to turn our focus away from the truth upon which we stand. So we are standing in truth. We are standing in righteousness. We are standing in peace with God. But the issue is the enemy wants us to not live in that reality, though it is the reality. He wants to distract us. He wants to cause us to turn our attention to anyone or anything other than this truth upon which we stand. And so the shield of faith, above all, Paul is talking about a protection, a provision of God in Jesus Christ when we stand in the truth of the faith of Christ, which is always faith in Christ, then we are able to defend, or we are defended, I should say, from the attacks of the enemy in which he is desiring to cause us to not live in this reality that we are victorious in Jesus Christ. So faith is the means. It is the very catalyst which brings God's truth to life within our lives. Understand, we are in the faith. As believers, we are, we are living by faith. It is the faith of Jesus Christ. Again, when Paul says the just shall live by faith, what he's actually saying is, not that faith is a part of our lives. He's saying the just, the just, their very source of their life is faith. That's the meaning of the text. And so Paul is saying the very origin of our life, the very source of our life is faith. So the shield of faith is important because we must understand it is faith that is the catalyst of us understanding the truths which in, in which we live. In other words, let me explain to you a very practical way. We know that God is true. We know that God's word is true. But how many people who genuinely have been born again from time to time begin to question the truths of God's word because of the circumstances in which they are facing or experiencing? But understand this. The truth is the truth is the truth. And it is faith, belief in God, believing God, believing what God has said about himself, who he is, believing what God has said in his promises, believing God's testimony of his son, as First John mentions, believing the truth of the testimony of God's spirit, who testifies of his son, John's gospel. We know the word of God is true. We know all of this, but yet it is the belief in this that brings to life the truth, the peace with God, the righteousness in which we live. We begin to understand and realize when we are believing God that these things are real and absolute regardless of everything about us. So the shield of faith, Paul mentions it as a shield for a reason because it is the protection that is keeping the attacks from the en- of the enemy from causing us to become distracted from Christ and who he is and who God has made us to be in him. In other words, belief as biblically defined 
is to entrust one's entire spiritual well-being to God. So faith to believe, therefore, is to believe the truth and promises of God. And it's for this reason that Paul says, above all, or especially, taking the shield of faith. Because all these truths are already true, but if we are not truly believing God, then even though this is true, we are not living in this truth. And it is faith. What is faith? Totally entrusting our well-being to Him, believing God. And only God can give us that ability to believe Him because man will never believe God apart from God working that in him. So we not only are to stand in truth, stand in righteousness, stand in the good news of the peace we have with God in Jesus Christ, but we are to daily live in remembrance in the victory of this truth in which we stand. Despite the attacks of the enemy, strike us from the truth of the victory we have in Jesus. He is our victory. So Paul goes on to say, above all, taking the shield of faith. Now Paul's use of the metaphor of a shield when speaking of faith bears importance regarding this provision of defense against the attacks of the enemy. The shield to which Paul refers is not a small round shield as you may envision or or imagine, but rather he's speaking of the elongated shield, the one behind which a person could pretty much completely hide behind in the midst of a battle. It had the potential to completely cover one in the midst of an attack. While the shield to which Paul refers is a large shield, it is still a shield or a means able to be moved about as needed in order to provide protection from any and all directions of attack. And that's the importance here. The breastplate, as Paul mentions in 1 Thessalonians, it was a fixed thing, the breastplate of faith and love. And as he says in, in, in um in, in Ephesians, the breastplate of righteousness. This is a fixed thing. But the shield of faith, the shield as Paul uses its imagery for us, the metaphor of the shield is that it's something which can be shifted and moved about for protection from any direction of attack. Although we are aware of the enemy and we are privy to as many methods of attack, here is something we can never know. We can never know when or from where the attacks may come. We know the enemy's out there. We know the attacks are always coming. But, and we know the methods. If you've been a believer very long in Christ, you know the methods of attack of the enemy. But what you don't know is when and where these attacks will come. Now, let me mention this as well because it's important. Remember something, because we must not subjectify this text in any fashion or form. The attacks are not against you. The attack is never personal, though we, though we look at it personally, and we do experience it in a personal manner. But yet the attack is against Jesus it's against the gospel. It's against the righteousness and truth of God. That's the attack. So the attack, if we are, notice, if we are standing in truth, why are we being attacked? Because we stand in truth. If we are standing in righteousness, why are we being attacked? Because we stand in righteousness. Are you following? If we are in peace with God, why are we being attacked? Because we stand in peace with God. And so when God is our father, our friend, when he is the one who has fought this battle on our behalf in Christ, then the enemy is against us. In the words of Jesus to the disciples, if you recall, Marvel not if the world hate you. Remember, it hated me first. And the reason the world hates us, if they hate us, is because it's Christ in us that they hate. And so this attack is not personal, though we experience it in a personal manner. The attack is against the truth and faith of Jesus Christ upon which we stand. And so we never know when or where this attack is going to occur. The faith which we have been given is sufficient to cover and protect every portion of our being in our lives. 
We are to trust God. We are to believe His Word. We are to rest in His promises without hesitation. While the enemy will do all he possibly can to cause us to turn our attention inward. Because as soon as we begin to face attack, what do we do? We start looking at us. We start getting concerned with us. Or do we not? And the, 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 the immediate thing for us to do is not even so much pay attention to the enemy as it is trying to protect ourselves, trying to prevent harm from coming to ourselves. But that's not at all what, what should be. We are not to look inward in terms of ourselves and the harm or the, the, the danger, the, 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 the tribulation or the trial or the testing or the attack of the enemy should not cause us to begin to look inward. It is faith. It is only by faith, believing God and His Word, that we are protected from the many attacks of the enemy. Ultimately, as Paul declared, that all the promises of God are fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 19-22 For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea, in Christ He's saying. For all the promises of God in Him, in Jesus, are yea. They are yes, and in Him, Amen unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us. Now notice this is very interesting. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in the second epistle, notice what he says. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. They are absolute. They are, they are fulfilled. And verse 21, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, God the Father, and hath anointed us is God the Father, who hath also sealed us, and given us the, or given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So he's saying, all the promises of God are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he says, by the way, it is God the Father who has fulfilled all, the per- all His promises in the person of His Son Jesus, who is the very one who establishes you, who settles you, who strengthens you, and then seals it with the Spirit. This is absolute. And so we can maintain the position because it is a God-given position, not something for which we are striving to or for. So we can trust and rest in the promise of God as God has fulfilled all His Word in His Son and has sealed us with the gift of His Spirit who dwells within us and reminds us of all truth which Jesus has spoken, as John so clearly says, Jesus says in John, John's Gospel. Paul goes on to say, verse 16 here, wherewith? ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So as as I have previously mentioned, the attacks of the enemy are not personal, although such attacks, attacks do personally affect us. That's without question. The enemy is constantly attacking the gospel and the faith upon which we stand. Paul refers to the attacks of the enemy as fiery darts here in this sixth chapter of Ephesians. And Paul provides us imagery of arrows which would have been equipped with a flammable substance and would have been shot... At the, at the enemy, uh, from the enemy, and therefore been shot at the opposing side and would have therefore not only potentially pierced and harmed or, or even killed, but would have caused destruction because of the fire, because of how it would spread. It wasn't just simply a small attack that would do limited damage. It, was, it could potentially do great damage. And so within this verse, Paul explains that it is the very faith, notice this, which is constantly under attack. Because would you not agree with me? Do you not understand that Satan is not concerned with you. He's concerned with the faith upon which you stand. He's concerned with the gospel upon which you stand. He's concerned with the cause of Christ in which we live. That's what his concern is. It's not you, okay? And so the attack is not against you. It's against the faith in which you stand. And here Paul makes it clear, which is very interesting, the irony in a sense, 
It is the very faith which is constantly under attack by the enemy that is the only means able to quench every attack of the enemy. So why would we attempt to ward off the attack rather than standing in the truth of the faith of the very Son of God in which we've been given this position, which this faith is the only means by which the enemy attacking this faith will be defeated. In other words, let me clarify it for you and simplify it. Belief in God, believing God, is the only hope you have of living in victory. Period. Because you will not experience daily victory in anything other than the faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, the very thing which the enemy attacks is the one provision we are given that is victorious over the enemy and his attacks. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Notice what John writes. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. In the face of all the opposition, the Antichrist present during John's day, and we've been dealing with this on Wednesday evenings, as you are aware, but in 1 John, we see this attack has been coming against Christ, against the deity of Christ, even against the humanity of Christ, meaning that the Messiah really had not come in the flesh. And so John is facing this battle, and he's explaining the fellowship the personal testimony and the declaration of God, the witness and testimony of God concerning His Son. And here John says, faith is what overcomes the world, talking about the worldly system, the sinfulness and wickedness and spiritual depravity of the world in which we live. And then he says, who is he that overcometh the world then? Who is it? Faith is immediately tied to believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that God's testimony of Jesus as the Christ is true. In other words... Faith is believing God. And this is our victory. So faith is the means by which we are provided and daily experience the victory we have been given in Jesus Christ. The victory is realized as we daily trust and rest in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we rest in His sufficiency, we rest in His finished work. We are overcomers. We are victorious because of the all-sufficient Jesus who dwells within us. For He is our armor. He is our victory. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Why are we overcomers? Oh, because we really fight hard. We really take up our cross daily. Oh, we really put on a real good opposition. No. Why are we overcomers? Because the one in us is greater than the one in the world. So let me ask you again, who is our victory? Christ and Christ alone. Simon Peter also wrote of this faith in 2 Peter 1, 1 1-4. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we are given all these promises of God, but let us not be distracted or confused. Paul's already established his truth so clearly, and now Peter speaks of it. What 
Where are all the promises of God fulfilled? In the person of Jesus Christ. So all these promises are not in addition to Jesus. They are provided and fulfilled in Jesus. The tragedy of the day, I would say, in which we live in modern day Christendom, if you will, is this ideology, this mindset, this misconception, this pervert, perversion of thought and horrible theology that we have Jesus plus. Remember Ephesians 1.3, Paul kind of set the whole tone when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all what? In heavenly places in Christ. There it is. So again, we are attempting to live life so often thinking we need Jesus plus. I cannot help but be reminded of John 14. Whenever Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then Philip, remember, said unto him, I've mentioned this many times when Philip says, uh, uh, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. In other words, what Philip is saying is, uh, Jesus, if you let us see God the Father, then that's all we need to see. That's all we need to know. And then everything will be great. That's sufficient. And remember the words of Jesus, Philip. How long have I been with you? Do you not understand that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? Remember his statement? Here's the reality of it. Philip is saying, well, well, well Jesus, if you just show us the Father, then it'll suffice. We'll be, that'll be sufficient and we'll be satisfied. You know what people want? Oh, well, well we have Jesus, but oh, I need to, need to take this armor in, in, in addition to Jesus. No, hear me. Christ is all in all. And that's what Paul is explaining here and how, how often this whole passage of Scripture has been totally misunderstood, misunderstood represented, misquote, unquote, applied. I hate making that statement, but it's how it's presented. And what people do is they try to take and apply this to their lives rather than truly applying themselves to this truth <laughs> that they are in Christ and Christ is in them. We have a great protection in God's provision of faith. For the faith of Jesus is always faith in Jesus. Galatians, makes that, Galatians letter makes that so clear. It is this faith given to us by God that is His provision for us to realize and experience daily the victory we have already been provided in Jesus Christ. In Jude, verses 17 through 21, Jude wrote, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Do you see what he's saying? Maintain the position. That's exactly what Jude is saying. And what does Jude speak of? Contending for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Maintain the the position. Stand. Maintain the position of faith. Stand. 